Hello, this is McCall Gordon, and today we'll be mapping mom shame on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with McCall Gordon. McCall Gordon MA has a BS from Stanford in human biology and an MA from Antioch University, Seattle in applied psychology, where she is currently a senior lecturer. She researches and writes about temperament, sleep, and the gap between research and advice. She is also a certified pediatric sleep consultant, working with parents of alert, non-sleeping children. She comes to this work because she had two sensitive, intense children, and she didn't sleep for 18 years. McCall, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Your work is so important, and many times I know it too well. Well-meaning clinicians, like many of those listening here, can be a part of the reason for mom shame because of the gap between our recommendations and the reality. I'm wondering if you could first speak into what you mean by mom shame. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, it probably has a lot of different names, but I think uh, parents come into parenting and get bombarded with information. And a lot of times that information is well-meaning. It really is. Like, how can you be a better parent? And what we don't maybe realize is that the accumulation of those messages also can undermine parents' confidence in themselves and in their choices And a lot of times, very well-meaning information and advice also can imply that if something doesn't go well, it's because you did something wrong. That's where it really goes off the rails, I think. Yeah. And is mom shame different than parent shame? Is there something different to our hormonal makeup (laughs) that's impacting things? (laughs) Who knows the nature-nurture piece? I mean, there's definitely a societal piece. I mean, as much as we're trying to break out of the gender notion of mom and dad, it's still very much there. And mothers are still more responsible for more of the decisions, more of the childcare, more of the emotional labor, the invisible tasks that need to get managed and taken care of. So just more of the responsibility lands on moms. 
it may be hormonal. That would be a nice explanation. Moms also set a very high bar for themselves, but I would say this is a societal problem. It's, that's not mom's fault. The mom shame really comes from a bar that's set way, way too high. And so it's really easy to fall underneath that bar and feel bad about it, right? I'm supposed to be authoritative, but not permissive or, you know, too punitive. I'm supposed to facilitate my baby's brain growth, but I'm also not supposed to hover. It's full of these dichotomies that we have to try to navigate perfectly. And it's, it's insane. (laughs) How did that happen? Like, I know you said societal pressure, but did our understanding of how we are supposed to nurture, like the quote unquote side effects, I'm going to say, of scientific research, did that kind of contribute to what used to just happen more naturally and with more instinct? What happened along the way where we put so much pressure on ourselves? Right. Well, that's a really good question. Interestingly, so there's a part of it that's yes, some of this is new. And a part of that is no, a lot of this is very, very, very old. Like from the time we started having experts on parenting way back in the 19th century. And I would say before that, it was probably the church, right? The church would say how you raised your kids. But the 19th century, there emerged this idea that there could be experts and that experts would talk about scientific parenting. Mom shame goes way, way back. The new part, it started really in the 90s when that was that era of the critical period of brain development. Remember all the brain science stuff? Like if you do the right stuff in the first three years, you'll set your child up for all this great success. And so what happened there is that ratcheted the bar up because then whatever you did didn't just happen in the moment. It had lifelong consequences. Right. It right, was like right. you will wreck your child forever if you don't get yeah. this right. And then the internet, you know, it's sort of a double whammy of the nineties and you know, when internet really started going, because now you have everybody who's an expert. There's not just Dr. Spock, it's everybody is an expert. Right. There's all sorts of coaches and everything being guiding and having the way and the protocol. And I'm going to say potentially triple and quadruple whammy, although there's probably even more factors implicating what is causing the mom shame. But on top of it, moms are expecting ourselves to do more in terms of career and achievement in addition to momming. And at the same time, From my perspective, we're seeing kids with more health challenges that do manifest as behavioral because of changes in the microbiome and changes in our environmental inputs. So it's sort of like this perfect storm of we can't get it perfect. Yeah, you can't. Right. I 100% agree. In my coaching work, I work exclusively with children that I call live wires. So these are the ones that are just on and sensitive and intense. And I don't know, it's possibly just because I work in that field that I feel like so many more kids are this way. Totally. Um, But those kids immediately put you in another entire galaxy of parenting. And for those parents, they're reading the books, they're listening to their friends who have a two-month-old who's already sleeping eight hours at a stretch. And they're like, 
rather than say, ha, huh, I have a different kid, they end up saying, what am I doing wrong? Why doesn't my kid do what my friend's kid does? Or the, all the babies on Instagram, right? You know, back in the day when you just had your neighborhood and your family, you just had a very small group of people to compare. And there, I'm sure, was a somebody who was like, oh yeah, my first was just like that. Don't worry. And now you just have the world of social media where you're looking at these beautiful pictures and it's just really easy to feel that you just don't get it. And I think a lot of parents are walking around with that kind of as a baseline. Yeah. Yeah. So that psychological impact of both having a live wire child and feeling the shame of doing it wrong, that it must be something I'm doing and the fear that there must be something wrong with my child too. And how did that happen? What did I do wrong way back when? I hear moms all the time talking about, was it the stress in pregnancy? Where did I do this wrong? Was it what I ate? I mean, same thing we see in a minor level with breastfeeding, kind of mag when we're looking for what was that needle in the haystack, what does that do to the whole psychology of parenting? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of this stuff that really does, the research has shown leads directly to higher um, levels of things like depression. Let's think of a mom who had a rough birth, long labor and or rough birth. Then the baby comes out and the baby's unsettled because maybe they have reflux or some condition where they're very fussy, you automatically have a, a mom who's got strike one, strike two, right? Right. Really rough go, really rough baby. All of a sudden you're in a world of, this is not what I signed up for. This is, this is so much more than I expected. Those moms are already behind the eight ball in terms of a feeling of, I've got this, I'm a good mom, because you're not getting that feedback cycle, right? You're not doing X, Y, and Z, and your baby's calming down, and you go, oh, I got this, I, I get this, cool. No, you do X, Y, Z, R, Q, F, and nothing yeah. is working. It really wears on you. And I really think that we really have to support parents in having the room to become a parent and to make mistakes and to try things and figure out who their child is. I have parents all the time with six-week-old babies, and they're like, I know we've probably started some bad habits. I'm like, <laughs> how can you have bad habits at six weeks old? That's just not possible. And their bad habits are generally things that are working to help their baby sleep. It just hurts my heart because I think here is a really caring, loving parent who's doing what's working to help their baby feel regulated. And they, in their mind, feel guilty, ashamed maybe about it. They know it works, but they sort of feel ashamed about that. Like at a minimum, it's a shame. And at a maximum, I don't know what it's doing to their self-concept as parents and their feelings about parenting in general. Yeah, and their whole physiological function, which is then going into a stress response, which we know is not healthy for the immune system, for the gut, for detoxification, for the hormones. And then I see that feeding over to the baby. So then it's kind of like this catch-22, but again, we don't want to shame mom into just calming down about it. So what do we do? Yeah. So we, we can then talk about parental anxiety. We now know too that 
postpartum anxiety is actually, we believe now, more prevalent than postpartum depression. Parents are just, you know, freaking out kind of on some level, which definitely can impact a baby's sleep and regulation and all of that for sure. The problem with anxiety too is that when a parent is anxious, they do search on the internet more because they're looking for a solution to their anxiety, which then makes them even more anxious. Parents are really, I think, tied in knots. And again, if then you add to that mix an unsettled, a very sensitive, non-sleeping baby, (laughs) it's a little combustible. There's several things that we could, you know, talk about for moms at least to think about. Yeah. One is lowering the bar, just lower the bar, right? In terms of knowing that you're not going to ruin your child by one or two different choices that you make. My kids are in their 20s, so I have a long view now. And I know that you have a long time to figure this out because you're going to make a whole sequence of mistakes. So, you know, thinking that you're going to get it all right in infancy and that's going to somehow prevent stuff from happening is just not accurate. I mean, the interesting thing too is it's a relationship. Like we don't even know who they are yet, right? Like that's an evolving my son too in his 20s. And, you know, it's lovely to witness who they are, but he taught me how to be his parent. It isn't something I could have dreamed up in advance of being in relationship with him. Yeah. And, and anybody who has more than one, the first right. one is one way that you do the same thing and the, the second one's completely different. And the child changes, right? We know that once you get one stage, you're like, okay, I think I got this toddler thing figured out. They turn three and then it's all a whole different world, right? Right. Um, or they go to school or they go to middle school. You know, it's a constantly evolving bar. So yes. So lower the bar. Lowering Step the one, bar. Step lower one, the, lower bar. the bar. <laughs> Step two is moms do have a tendency to do what they call gatekeeping. And I do believe that that's from the hormones and also moms just get wired into the baby's whole universe. Mm-hmm. Um, moms can really um, prevent other people from helping. And that's the other piece. So if in this first period, Moms need support, but they need to allow support to happen. So we know that social support, any kind of support, partner support is preventive of all kinds of negative outcomes for mom. But again, you got to open the gate. You have to say, I'm going to let dad have the baby for two hours. Here in Seattle, there's a man who runs a dad's group where the dads go for three hours with their brand newborn babies on a Saturday. And not only does it give the dads the opportunity to be sole caretaker of that baby, but moms get a three-hour break. And it's an amazing thing. But I think that they have to leave the house. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. The they definitely have to leave the yeah. house. So allow, really allowing support. And then also, you know, I kind of say step away from the Instagram, really monitoring what, what they're consuming in terms of advice and information and all of that, because there's been some research now on how scanning the internet for parenting advice, as well as making comparisons on social media, they don't make things better. They make things worse. Mm, Yeah. And we know that for all ages, right? It's now the evidence is coming out for young girls, but that's true of all of us. It really is. It really is. And because we think there are experts out there that know stuff, we listen to people. And I think 
you have to be a critical consumer and know that people can say all kinds of things on the internet that aren't necessarily grounded in research or even what we know about development. So you have to be a really critical and careful consumer and really feel free to reject whatever it is you're reading if it doesn't make sense to you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's true of everything. It's true in nutrition. It drives me crazy. It's true in a lot of recovery circles. Like there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of untruths in the perfect lives that people are displaying on Instagram. My biggest takeaway in talking to you, McCall, is really thinking about how we as practitioners, as coaches and clinicians, are holding this space for the reality that, A, what we're recommending may or may not work, and it's a journey. It's going to evolve as we learn together, mom and clinician, or mom and baby and clinician, however that relationship is. And also just the reminder to parents to unplug, like you're talking about, that that's not supportive and to recognize and kind of tune in to where that feedback becomes a trigger for their own anxiety. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, I wish we were talking to pediatricians too, but it's really important. We are. Um, Okay, good. (laughs) Hey, pediatricians. Believe parents. Yeah, no, I don't want I don't want to ding pediatricians. I love them. But it really is important to know that if a parent says my baby is not sleeping, the only answer is not well you need to just try crying it out. That's not the only answer to that. We really need to believe parents when someone's saying this is an issue and then ask what have they tried already? What did they try? What haven't and then validate how hard they've already tried. Because I think that takes us then out of that, you know, wrong coaching relationship, which is I know the answer and I'm going to give it to you versus let's look at where you are and what's the reality uh, that you're living with. What have you tried? And good for you. Good for you for trying so many things. Now let's see where things are going off the rails. Yeah. So true. I mean, that's what I like to think of as a timeline, right? We really need to embrace what's worked, what hasn't, recognize the effort. Otherwise, we're gaslighting the person in their efforts and in their reality. McCall, anything else from your research? I know there's so much more, but knowing that you have the ears of so many coaches and clinicians, what do you wish we knew in our care that we didn't already cover? Yeah, I want to highlight, you know, we we sort of touched on the idea of these little live wire kids. I think my other soapbox point is that if a parent has a kid like this, so more alert, intense, sensitive, perceptive, non-sleeping, know that they are working harder at all times of the day and night. They are way more tired and they need even more support than somebody who's got a mellower, maybe a mellower non-sleeping child, they really need extra, extra care um, bolstering their sense of their self and in support. They need to be shored up even more than other parents. They are really, really generally struggling significantly, if not in burnout, especially now during the pandemic. We're learning a lot more about parental burnout, which has massive repercussions on the person, but really on the children as well. So right now during the pandemic, I wouldn't be surprised if the rates are through the roof. And 
these parents, I think, are even more at risk. So just be extra special careful with them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Such good points. McCall, thank you for the research you do and sharing your wisdom with us today. It was lovely. Thank you so much. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 